Hi everyone and welcome back. It's Musa Kalenga here again of the African Tech Conversation series. So uh, we're excited to have you join us again on African Tech Roundup. And as always, we'll be speaking to a phenomenal and stellar guest. And on this one, uh, we'll be chatting to Sonia Kunel, who is absolutely amazing in what she's done uh, from a contribution to the ecosystem around Bitcoin, as well as uh, cryptocurrencies in the continent. And she's been interested since the late 2013. So the conversation I'll have with her today will be jam-packed with lots of interesting anecdotes, uh, but also just a view of the journey that she's been on. In 2013, she started a company uh, called uh, Bitcoin Payments, and uh, this company effectively was an affiliate partner, which allowed online merchants in South Africa to accept Bitcoin as a payment method for for goods and services. And then in 2014, she co-founded Bitcoin Events, which is an amazing company that hosts some of South Africa's leading cryptocurrency and blockchain events, uh, not least the Blockchain Africa Conference, which we'll talk about a little bit later, as well as the DeFi conference as well as the crypto fest so she's obviously been very involved in the ecosystem and these kind of events obviously help to bring people together around this really interesting subject and then in 2015 Sonia founded the Bitcoin Academy uh, it was later renamed the Blockchain Academy and this offers training and consulting on blockchain tech and crypto projects um, as we've all realized from the conversations we've had uh, learning is an important aspect of developing the sector and the industry so uh, Bitcoin Academy aims to do just that uh, Sonia is also currently the co-founder and crypto blockchain specialist at Zago, a Cape Town-based company offering XRP cryptocurrency exchange, gateway and payment platform built on the Ripple blockchain. So from that little introduction, I'm sure you're super intrigued. So stick around because we're going to be having this conversation and many other uh, discussions with her. And hopefully you'll be able to get a good sense of some of the things that are being done in and around crypto as well as the journey that she's been on. Before we get into it, a big thank you to the Cello Community Fund uh, for getting behind African Tech Roundup's current season of the blockchain-themed learning content. Over the next several months, you guys just need to stick around and absorb, 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 and you can look forward to more tech conversation podcasts like this one, exclusive interviews with innovators from Africa's blockchain scene, as well as insight-filled written think pieces and op-eds by entrenched specialists and talented journalists. And so we'll also even have live interactive Twitter spaces where you can be part of the conversation conversation and so there's plenty of ways that you can get involved so make sure that you don't miss a thing you can follow us on twitter and instagram at african tech roundup um, which is at african roundup or search for african tech roundup on facebook and LinkedIn to find and follow our profiles there. And that's not all. If you'd like to learn more about Cello's mission to build a financial system that creates conditions for prosperity for everyone, you can also visit Cello.org and apply for their Cello Community Fund. Now, this is a great opportunity to access fund and support um, for different aspects of the ecosystem that allow you to be able to create prosperity for everyone. And so this fund and many others are available at Cello.org and they are very much a big part of many making this podcast possible. So head to the cellocommunityfund.org to get more information. Now we're on to the show. And obviously, uh, first and foremost, I'd like to say welcome, Sonia, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Musa. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. And and especially so, we thank you for uh, making the time, obviously, as you recover. We appreciate that and the community appreciates that. And uh, I'm really hoping that uh, the next hour is going to be energizing and invigorating for you, uh, much the same as it always is uh, with our community. So thank you very much for your time. 
First up, I actually, when I was reading through your profile, and obviously you got lots of sterling achievements, I kind of looked at the one uh, line and I thought to myself, you started a Bitcoin payment company in 2013. My question was, who on earth was making Bitcoin payments back then? It obviously seems like it's something that's become quite mainstream now. But in 2013, who are you servicing with that Bitcoin payments company, if I may ask? Yeah, that's such a good question, Musa, because almost no one is your big <laughs> answer. <laughs> you know, I spent a year, uh, I come from a web development background. Okay. Before I discovered crypto, I was a web developer for various co- firms. And then I discovered Bitcoin in 2013. And I just said to my husband, I need to get out of web development. I'm just going to go and start anything. <laughs> and with my web development background, I thought, let me try and help um, websites integrate Bitcoin as a payment method. Oh, I see. And I started in South Africa and I literally had no clients the entire year of me going around to small coffee shops and to, you know, e-commerce sites that were selling uh, computer hardware and software. And not one single client wanted to integrate Bitcoin as a payment system in 2013 or 14. Wow. Um, so I had to obviously supplement my income doing web development on the side because I was making no money trying to, you know, start this business. Yeah. And so I got quite frustrated because it was a year of really trying and really being passionate about making, you know, saying to myself, this is going to happen in South Africa. People need to understand the benefits of accepting crypto on their website yes. or even in a retail environment. Um, and so, you know, what I decided to do is go back to the drawing board because I realized South Africa was not ready for that. Um, there was a lot of bad news around crypto in 2013 and 14. There was a lot of scams. There was one of the biggest um, crypto exchanges that had just been hacked, Mt. Gox. There was Silk Road, which was an illicit marketplace where you could buy illicit substances, drugs, and put out hits for people on their lives. It was sure. crazy stuff. Wow. So people just weren't ready for this. So <laughs> it was too early. So I decided to rather go back to education. Start at the beginning and provide education. And that's when I started the blockchain or the Bitcoin Academy, as we called it in the beginning. Okay. Now called the Blockchain Academy. And then I also started Bitcoin events with my partner, Theo Souls. Okay. And, you know, that was a good decision because... South Africa and Africa needed education first and foremost before adopting this technology. I see. And what kept you going? I mean, as you said, that's like a, that's a year, a year, two years plus almost of, um, you know, yeah. selling and hitting the streets and obviously, you know, no one biting. So what were you seeing that uh, subsequently yeah. has obviously yeah. come to pass? What were you seeing in the early days in terms of your observation of the, um, the way payments were going and the economy and, and yeah. you know, South Africa as a market? What were you observing that was fueling your, uh, your ability to keep going? You know, because I come from a technical background, I used to program, I read Satoshi Nogamoto's white paper in 2013, and I was actually completely blown away by the white paper and with the problem it was trying to solve with digital payments right. and the double spend problem that it was solving mm. using cryptography. And, you know, there had been so much work before Satoshi Nogamoto's white paper around allowing digital payments without the double spend problem happening digitally um, using cryptography and he had actually solved this problem so i was completely and utterly taken with the fact that this was a a real invention um but i you know i think once again i was trying to convince people of this um and the time was just not right for them so um yeah it was more or less my passion for this when i started reading for six months i researched as much as i could without 
doing anything else, just research, research around crypto and what it meant and who was using it and what problem did it solve and the white paper. Mm. And after those six months, I, I couldn't go back. I was went down the rabbit hole and I was absolutely convinced this was the future. Oh, excellent. And, and tell us a little bit more about the double spend problem. I mean, we've got fairly uh, a wide range of audience. Some of them are quite technical and some maybe not. So what is the double spend problem that you encountered that was actually quite seminal in your in your journey? Yeah, sure. So when you're sending an email to someone and you, for example, attach a PDF document to that email, mm -hmm. you're literally sending a copy of that PDF, right? You're not actually sending um, this. So there's a copy of that original document. It's not the true version and the only version of that document. Now, when you're sending a payment digitally, you've got to make sure that that is the true and only version of that payment, that there isn't a copy of that payment somewhere else. Mm. So literally you are now able to make payments online without creating a copy. Um, so you're not basically spending twice. You're not you know, creating a duplicate of this payment. You are sending the payment once, and that is the true and accurate payment that has taken place across the internet digitally. Absolutely. And I think that is one of the cornerstones of, uh, of, of the blockchain in terms of verification, security, and the ability to, to confirm um, point of origin as well as uh, identity. So tell me a little bit more about what you're observing now. So if we think about how things have evolved over the last couple of years, obviously, um, you've, you've pivoted a number of times. Education has become important. Um, what are the emerging trends now that are really, from your perspective, key for us to keep our minds and, and eyes open to? Um, and how is that playing into your journey now? So what I've seen over the years is obviously people are now realizing the benefits of not only cryptocurrencies, but also the blockchain technology underpinning cryptocurrencies. Um, in the beginning, when I started, everyone was only talking about Bitcoin. There was no talk about blockchain technology. Yeah. So that has evolved over the years. And we're now seeing big, big corporates, um, financial institutions, even the public sector mm. and government looking at how they can use the blockchain technology. You know, particularly in Africa, what I'm seeing first and foremost and the biggest use case in Africa is payments. Um, and as you know, you know, it's been well documented how fragmented the, the digital payments ecosystem is in South Africa and Africa. Yeah. And how many people are financially excluded um, as well as, you know, the, the cost of remittances that are really, really high, you know, up to 20% for a remittance. Mm. And remittances in sub-Saharan Africa are the most expensive remittances in any other region in the world. Um, so, you know, that is a big, big use case for cryptocurrencies because you are basically transferring money, because I see crypto as money, <laughs> across a border uh, within seconds and you're removing a lot of the third parties and the friction that currently exists with remittances today, thereby reducing the cost of that remittance significantly. We see with crypto payments um, across borders, you can do a, a payment for 1%. You know, if you compare 1% to 20%, and these are of the poorest people in the world that are receiving these remittances into Africa. So that for me stands head and shoulders above most of the other use cases. Sure. We've seen companies, for example, like Flutterwave, the biggest payment service providers in Africa. A lot of them are based in Nigeria. Um, Flutterwave, Chipper Cash, um, Interswitch, Interstellar are all working together on to basically allow their customers, their merchants, and their financial partners and banks to enable crypto-based payments across borders in Africa. 
Okay. Uh, so that for me is a very exciting use case. And then we are obviously seeing quite a few other use cases also that are, you know, showing some promise. One of which, in particularly in South Africa, is the self-sovereign identity use case. So we're seeing the big banks and APSA in particular, the PwC is also working with APSA and Banks of Africa, um, working on a digital sovereign identity, right. which basically means that it's a, a digital identity that's stored on the blockchain, which streamlines a lot of the KYC and AML processes that we have today that financial institutions all do in their siloed environments. You know, when you open a bank account, you now have to be verified and KYC'd by that bank. So instead of every time doing it at a different institution, we're finding these self-sovereign digital identities basically a solution to that where you, as the user, allow access to these financial institutions to your information that you've already verified once right. on an app, for example. And we're seeing, you know, a company called Input Output, which is Charles Hoskinson's company, and he's the founder of Cordano, one of the biggest blockchain technologies in the world. They are making strides with the Ethiopian government, particularly on creating these digital identity systems mm -hmm. in a school environment. So the students can record their grades on this system, their identity on the system from when they are in grade R all the way until they leave school. Um, so it's a great way of tracking the progress and monitoring the school performance as well as the grades of the students. So, you know, those two use cases of, are the, some of the biggest use cases we're seeing, particularly in Africa. Remember, obviously, the African uh, landscape is very different to the rest of the world. So we're seeing different solutions in Africa coming to the fore with blockchain technology adoption. And then also, I think another interesting one, and we'll showcase this at our conference in March, is the using blockchain technology in the agricultural supply chain. So basically we're seeing there's a few companies that are working on putting their livestock mm. on the blockchain. So there's a company called, for example, eLivestock Global, and they have launched a pilot in Zimbabwe and putting the cattle and recording all their cattle on the on the blockchain. And they've worked with MasterCard on this using the MasterCard province blockchain technology. And that really means that these cattle can be traced from the very beginning of when they are bought at a market. Their whole life cycle is put on the blockchain. And it also proves the ownership of those cattle, which mm. is very important in Africa because these cattle are stolen. You know, different things happen to them. They die. The entire life cycle of those cattle are then very transparently available for anyone to see and prove the ownership of that cattle which I think is a nice one as well. And then obviously with supply chain management, it's a huge thing, blockchain technology, of streamlining supply chain management, removing so many different inefficiencies and third parties in the process, mm. um, and especially in trade finance. Mm. You know, you're seeing quite a few companies in Africa looking at how to streamline the trade finance process using blockchain technology. Yeah. Look, I mean, those are really exciting use cases and, and, and across whether it's finance, whether it's identity, whether it's agriculture or, or supply chain, I find that, you know, for, for innovation to ultimately thrive, there have to be, you know, those that go ahead and create the use cases to develop comfort with those that, you know, that are laggards. But what is your view in terms of the naysayers that ultimately have um, had big opinions about uh, blockchain, how it's not going to take off in Africa, that the technology 
strategies to advance. Um, you know, I'm sure you've encountered a lot of those conversations and discussions. So how do you surpass that that argument if you think about even in finance? I mean, if you're driving from 20% to 1%, that's not a compelling case for, you know, an established financial services business because you have to think about everything in a new, fundamentally new way. So how do, how do you deal with the naysayers ultimately? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you know, Musa, I've dealt with these naysayers since 2013. I've got quite used to it. But what it's, it's, it's quite an interesting human behavior that I've picked up that I've never been exposed to before is the fear factor. Yes. You know, what we're seeing is this is creating a lot of fear yeah. because, as you say, banks and, you know, payment service providers are losing, going to lose a piece of the pie because crypto is undercutting the transaction fee by a huge amount. So how are they going to stay relevant? Yeah. And, you know, if they don't innovate, they might not stay relevant. Absolutely. And so I'm very patient, obviously, with these discussions because I can really understand the fear that these financial institutions in particular have with this technology because it is going to change the way we transact, the way we do business. It is going to undercut the profit margins of many financial institutions. In fact, it's going to get rid of many types of businesses as well. So yes, I I completely understand the naysayers to some extent, but what I do find is sometimes the naysayers have not completely understood yeah. this technology, mm. and therefore, um, you know, the conversation is is sometimes needs a little bit more education than anything else to get them to understand the benefits of this technology. So yes, it is going to create disruption. And yes, it is a problem for a lot of these companies. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be left behind. Um, and you know, you are seeing most of the banks in South Africa have been researching and creating blockchain proof of concepts uh, since 2016. Mm. Um, the Standard Banks, the Apses, the Barclays, even Capitec, they are looking at this and they obviously don't want to be left behind. So um to answer your question, I think, yes, there will always be naysayers with emerging technologies. It yeah. is disruptive. That is the nature of disruptive technology, to create fear and to also create disruption. And, yes, people have a right to fear this in mm. some sense. But my sort of advice would be to upskill, get the um, advice that you need, get consultants in to advise your company on how you can stay relevant mm. in this disruptive space. Excellent. And and how how has your academy helped to convert some of these naysayers into champions? Have you had any um, you know interesting uh, anecdotes of people who've come in and just been like, ah, I don't believe in this thing, and then gone through your yeah. academy and all of a sudden they get it? Um, so can you talk yeah. to us about you know if any of those um, experiences have happened? And then secondly, just touch on the curriculum. You know, what does the academy cover? Um, what is it that yeah. you do? Yes, we've had some interesting, obviously, um, <laughs> lots of interesting discussions with some really, really interesting people over the years because we have trained a lot of corporates. We've trained in seven different countries all over the world. Wow. We have trained mostly financial institutions, but also regulators. And in particular, we trained a central bank. Uh, I'm not going to mention which one <laughs> quite a few years ago. And we did a three-day workshop for the central bank, and the governor of the central bank was also in the training. And even after the three days of training, um, they were quite aggressive about this technology and the training in particular. And one person in particular stood up and said after three days of training that they found this technology to be a Ponzi scheme. Wow. 
and that was coming from a central bank. So I found that fascinating and very interesting. And that's when I realized, of course, there's just so much education to be provided to, you know, make sure that people understand the opportunities here, not just the the the, the fear that, you know, that, that exists today, that, you know. So I think um, the Academy tries to do that. It tries to provide a neutral, safe environment for people to come to and learn about the opportunities and the benefits of this technology, but also the, the issues. There are issues with this technology. It is an emerging technology. We're not um, we're not trying to glaze over all the issues around it. There are issues mm. like scaling issues of some of these technologies are a problem. They're not completely uh, production ready. Some of them have been hacked. Mm. Some of them have code issues, things like that. So, you know, the Academy um, has provided a lot of training. Over 2,000 students have come through our doors. Okay. Like I said, in seven different countries. And we train from beginner, very, very basic level to very advanced levels. Okay. And we have courses in the insurance industry. We have courses for financial institutions. We have courses for developers. And we have courses for, we're creating a course on self-sovereign identity, which is an interesting use case I mentioned for Africa already. Okay. And then we do a lot of consulting and presentations at conferences and events. Okay. So yes, yeah. you know, generally just trying to ensure that people uh, understand the technology and, you know, don't just fear this technology and the disruption. Excellent. And so you've also got the issue of association, right? You've mentioned Ponzi schemes. You've mentioned Forex traders are generally kind of not giving the sector such a great uh, reputation as a whole. Is there anything that you're actively doing um, to, I suppose, educate consumers, not necessarily on the content, but on these other, in inverted commas, more devious and underhanded people that are trying to take advantage? Is there anything deliberate that's happening? Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how you're playing a role there? Yes, uh, my business partner and I, we also run the Crypto Cape Town Meetup Group. Okay, We've been running that for about four or five years now. And we have about 900 members and we host events. We just hosted an event last week, actually, in Cape Town. And what we do is we invite the crypto exchanges in South Africa to come and share, you know, their experiences on scams, how to avoid scams, to provide education to the average person getting into crypto. So not very advanced mm. sort of meetups, basic stuff where we show show people how to avoid a scam mm. what are the problem areas when looking at a website mm. what you or what red stands flags. Out mm. should a re be a red flag for mm. you yeah mm. so we provide a lot of that sort of free meetups and free events so you know you don't have to necessarily pay for a course at the blockchain academy you can connect with us through the meetup and we host we are planning a series this year on providing that type of education to south africans because, you know, in anticipation of the regulation that's coming out this year as well, hmm. uh, people need to understand how your trading and your investment on a crypto exchange might change. Hmm. Uh, according to whatever regulation comes out this year by the South African regulators. Okay, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Keep that up. I think it's really important. And tell me a little bit about your investment journey. I mean, those of us that were our early adopters and have started investing in, in, in some of these uh, technologies um, have obviously had to go through, you know, testing and learning, burning fingers, losing money, yada, yada, yada. So anyone that is listening, um, could you just give us kind of your view, how, how you've gone about doing that and uh, the steps that you've taken, obviously, to build up a portfolio um, and how that's working for you at the moment. 
Yeah, you know, I bought Bitcoin when it was at an all-time high in 2014, and it was a thousand dollars. And yes. everyone thought that was a lot because it just gone within a week from four hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, so more sure. than doubled in 2000, sure. end of December 2013, January 2014. Sure. And I still thought, oh no, that's such a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you consider the price today is about six hundred and fifty thousand rand today, yeah, or it's yeah. hovering around six hundred thousand today, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's it was definitely not a bad investment. So yes. yes, I did get in quite early. Obviously, I spent quite a lot of Bitcoin paying for things and, you know, using Bitcoin as well. I didn't just hold on to it. Mm. But uh, what I've been doing over the years is accumulating different coins. So diversifying a little bit. I started only with Bitcoin for at least three years, you know, from 2014 to about 17, mostly only held Bitcoin. But what we are seeing is there are very exciting altcoins. Um, so I've started, you know, I invested in Ethereum, for example. I'm a firm believer that Ethereum even with the scalability issues it has today, is still the platform of choice for decentralized applications and NFTs. So it's got a very bright future. Okay. Um, and then its competitors are also invested. So I look at Matic from the Polygon Network. I'm, I'm very bullish on Matic. I love Matic. And then we also have Avalanche, for example. I used to be bullish on XRP. Oh, I see. <laughs> but um, XRP, as you probably know, Musa, hasn't moved in a year. Yeah been a very sluggish coin because yeah. of the Securities Exchange Commission lawsuit against the company Ripple, yeah. which issued XRP, and that has been dragging its heels for a year. So the price is very underperforming, and I expect when this SEC court case is either settled or concluded that the price of XRP will go up again. Mm. And then I have others, what we call DGEN coins, where I've you know, it's quite a risky portfolio, and I've gone small amounts into those coins. I see. Um, Terra Luna is one. Um, I even invested in Dogecoin as a, just for fun. Um, <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> no, it hasn't grown. Actually, I invested at the wrong time, but thank goodness it was it was really not a lot of money. It was actually just a joke. I see. Dogecoin to me is a joke. So if you're going to invest in it. Do it as a joke. You've got to have some um, fun somewhere along the line, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. You've got to have some fun with the crypto, you know, but there's, there is a lot of exciting projects in the space, but you've got to do your homework. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. And uh, what makes Ethereum so useful? I mean, you've mentioned that, you know, as a coin, it's one of the ones with a bright future because I, in my opinion, they kind of figured out utility a lot quicker than, you know, many other coins. But uh, to you, what what makes them a good investment? Yeah, look, Ethereum to me is a very interesting one. It's been around, obviously, for quite long now, since 2014. Mm. But it's a smart contract capability that it has that sets it apart from Bitcoin. Because, you know, there are efforts to make Bitcoin smart contract enabled by various companies, but like Rootstock, for example. But I still feel that Ethereum is the smart contract um, sort of platform of choice right now. Obviously, it's got competitors and they'd layer one and layer two solutions to improve the scalability of Ethereum. But if you generally look at it, it's a very strong language. It uses Solidity, which is a fantastic programming language and easy to, to learn as well. Not so complicated like some of these other um, smart contract platforms are. Mm. And I think, you know, it's a robust community and network around Ethereum. Mm. You know, there's a fantastic community around Ethereum. So, and you are seeing institutional investors now deviating a little bit from Bitcoin investments only to Ethereum as well. Yep. You'll get some of the biggest institutional investors saying, 
they are very bullish on Ethereum as well. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the naysayers. You have a lot of people who don't like Ethereum because yeah. it's expensive to do a transaction on Ethereum. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to do a $300 transaction on Ethereum, and the transaction fee was $50. Mm. Uh, that was not so long ago. Yeah. So, yes, it is expensive. It should be improved. You know, there are efforts underway by Vitalik Buterin, the founder, one of the co-founders of Ethereum, to create the scaling solutions around it. And I think once that's sorted out, Ethereum is just going to go from strength to strength. So I am very bullish on Ethereum generally. Okay. So what are the three things you look at before investing in a coin generally? I look at the community. For me, that's important. So, you know, is there a strong community? Are they contributing, you know, to the open discussions on Reddit? You know, is there a good use case for the coin? You know, Dodge to me has no use case. It's just fun. Mm. And um, Elon Musk likes it, but that's not a utility (laughs) coin to me. So Ethereum, you have many, many, many decentralized applications being built on it. You have almost all NFT are being built on Ethereum. And then Bitcoin, of course, has a utility, even though people think it doesn't because it's also slow and it also has become quite expensive to use for payments. But ultimately, people are using Bitcoin for payments. So there is a utility around Bitcoin. So for me, you know, the three things would be, um, what is the community like around that coin? Who are the founders of that coin? You know, are they legitimate? You know, do you see them openly talking about their coin and how it's being used? And is it a public issued coin? So it has to be, for me, very decentralized Mm. and permissionless coin so that's why i like bitcoin i like ethereum because they're both public open blockchain coins and then i do like some of the other coins like i mentioned matic as well because of the community around matic it's a very strong community very strong founders around it as well and the utility is fantastic as well it's solving scalability issues around ethereum Excellent, excellent. And tell me, what has your relationship been with regulators, the R word, as I call it, right? So they, at this stage, in my opinion, they uh, are not yet proactively contributing to ecosystems, but I'm sure you're having conversations with them all the time. Um, How's that been going? I wouldn't say I'm in conversations with them a lot, but, you know, I am also the co-founder of Zargo, as you mentioned in your introduction. It Mm. is an XRP and stablecoin exchange and payment platform using the Ripple blockchain network. And Zago was selected to be in the sandbox with the South African Reserve Bank amongst other regulators. Mm -hmm. They are still in the sandbox and they are basically communicating very often with the regulators. So I'm personally quite impressed with the regulators. I find their knowledge to be very, very high. Um, People tend to think that they don't really know what's going on, but that's not the case at all. The regulators are very, very well educated and versed in the space. And, Mm. you know, they obviously have a job to do. They have to look after the South African consumer and protect the consumer against scams and nefarious actors in the space. Because of there not being regulation currently, they are concerned. So they are coming out with regulation towards the end of this year, I believe which will start at the crypto exchange level. They're going to ask crypto exchanges to be regulated and apply for um, a license to operate, basically. And they will be called accountable institutions. So, And that will also be across the board for any person or company that's providing advice 
on Kripa assets will have to apply for a financial service provider license under this act. And they're actually not looking to clamp down on the space. Interestingly, people think that's what they want to do. They don't. They do realize the benefits of economic growth and job creation. And people are basically creating livelihoods with cryptocurrencies in South Africa. So they don't want to stifle that too much. So I'm quite impressed with the regulators. Um, I have nothing bad to say about them. I I actually like them as well. They've spoken at our conferences in the past for the last four or five years. They're of the nicest people you can meet, actually. And I have a lot of respect for what they need to do. And what do you think? I mean, with the introduction of regulation, obviously there's a there's a cost to regulate automatically, if I'm to use that as an example. So if you're going to be regulating exchanges and there's a cost to do that and there's a license implication, already you're adding a baseline cost to transacting, which kind of is counterintuitive to being purist about what the problem that you're solving is. So are they, you know, in your opinion, do you think they're thinking about those kind of things? Because the introduction of a license means someone has to pay for that license. That's already a cost that has to be borne and passed on, you know? So for me, that's kind of where I think about regulation. I wonder whether they're approaching regulation differently or whether they're using the traditional principles of regulating to try and and regulate a a future-focused currency or a currency that's, you know, potentially solving problems in the future. Musa, I think at the end of the day, there are bad actors in the space. I've been around quite a long time now for five or six years in the space in South Africa, and there are plenty of bad actors. Yeah. So if you look at the bigger picture, I think regulation is very, very important um, to protect people. You know, I, I know several people who have lost their pensions and life savings. And, you know, these stories are growing. We find them, mm. they come to Blockchain Academy and they've already lost everything and they need help. So, sure. you know, it's very sad to see that. So I am for regulation to protect mm-hmm. those people. Um, obviously, yes, it is going to mean that a lot of the smaller actors in the space are not going to be able to operate because they're not necessarily going to be able to afford the not just the license, but also the software development changes that these regulations will require from exchanges to put in checks and balances. Um, You know, if you are at a certain amount of your single discretionary allowance on a platform, there might be some requirements from the regulators to build in a check on that platform to stop someone from buying more crypto if he's already gone over his single discretionary allowance for the year. So there might be those sort of implication costs as well. But I think the general positiveness uh, still overrides the negative sort of cost association and closing down of the smaller actors in the space. Excellent. And so do you think that the fact that South Africa has got such an organized financial services ecosystem is is good for South Africa ultimately, or is it uh, hindering South Africa? Look, I think the you know the South African financial institutions are heavily regulated in South Africa. We all yeah. know that, but they are of the best financial institutions in the world. We have a yeah. robust banking system, uh, very strong financial institutions. But yes, they're heavily regulated, and I think obviously I don't want to see the the, the crypto exchanges and this this industry go down the same route where it's completely and overly regulated. But, you know, I am not a regulator, can't foresee where, what's coming, but yeah. I do think it will be in stages. And I, from what I can gather, I think it might be fair regulation. So they, you know, they're going to try and stop where crypto exchanges are acting as on-ramps from fiat into crypto. 
That is where the problems lie, where people deposit money into a crypto exchange and then buy crypto mm. and then send it out of the country, for example, and, you know, with exchange control laws, um, maybe defy the amount that they're allowed to send out of the country and capitalize it out of the country. Those type of things should be regulated because, you know, that makes the country poorer if we don't have that money coming back into South Africa and we just, the country's just losing more and more money due to cryptocurrency leaving the country and not coming back. So I don't think it will be too much of a heavy hand that we'll see initially. It might change later. I can't foresee into the future. But I think at what I'm hearing from the regulators, uh, it sounds like it could be fair regulation coming. Okay. And if we look across Africa, who are the winners, who are the losers? I mean, you've mentioned uh, Nigeria already. Uh, Where does South Africa stack up? Yeah, look, Nigeria is interesting because Nigeria last year, the central bank actually banned crypto uh, (laughs) in terms of allowing banks to deal with crypto exchanges. They actually prohibited them from dealing with any exchange that wanted a bank account to do business with for their clients. So that was interesting. But Nigeria, in the same breath, is also just launched a, a central bank digital currency, which is based on blockchain technology, uh, also called a CBDC. So hmm. Nigeria banned crypto, but then also built their own blockchain-based e-Naira, which hmm. is a CBDC coin. Um, so yes, I think Nigeria is definitely, you know, one of the countries that we're watching closely because of the ban that they have on crypto. Um, Kenya has also issued sort of warnings to the public about using cryptocurrencies. They haven't banned it. And I think South Africa has had the similar stance in warning South Africans about the risks associated with crypto because it's unregulated. But like I say, I think South Africa might be one of the more progressive countries in Africa when it comes to regulation this year. That's fantastic. And so you having your conference coming up, I mean, for, for our listeners at home, if you know, just to whet the appetite a little bit, um, what are some of the topics that you'll be covering um, in the conference? Can you give us a little bit of a sense of uh, the kind of content and speakers that you'll have there? Yeah, sure. So we're very excited to welcome um, Charles Hoskinson back for the second time as a keynote speaker. I've mentioned earlier that he is the founder of Cardano, which is a smart contract blockchain platform. He's also the founder of co-founder of Ethereum, so a very interesting person to talk to. And they're doing a lot in Africa. As I mentioned, they're talking to the Ethiopian government about uh, digital identity and payment platforms using Cardano. So he'll be coming to talk about their initiatives and projects in Africa. We'll also be talking to Christopher Light about how they are putting their livestock, the cattle in Zimbabwe on blockchain, and then obviously tracking the whole life cycle of these cattle. We'll also be talking to Chris Cleverly about farming and putting the entire supply chain of farming on the blockchain. Um, Also going to be talking to Hatko Stain. He is from the South African Reserve Bank on their view of regulation and particularly on stable coins. You know, we're seeing a lot of regulators around the world looking at stable coins and not quite sure how to regulate stable coins. So he'll be talking about that. We also have Ian Putter from Standard Bank talking about what the status of blockchain is in banking. So, you know, for many years, we, we haven't seen much from the APSA and the NetBanks and the Capitex. So he's coming from Standard Bank to talk about what they're doing at Standard Bank around using blockchain technology. And then, of course, we always have the regulatory panels on what is happening in regulation in Africa and globally. 
and then as well as the central bank digital currency compensation. So how are central banks all over the world investigating and coming up with pilots around central bank digital currencies? And then a very interesting topic, I think, which is different to our previous years, is how is blockchain in gaming taking form in Africa? So we have quite a few speakers talking from Nigeria and Kenya, not so much in South Africa, about how they have created a play-to-earn platform where people in Africa can actually earn an income playing blockchain-based games and earning NFTs as rewards. So I think that's going to be a very fascinating talk as well. Sorry, another one pertaining to Africa is the cross-border payments, of course. Very important discussion. We've got a panel on that. So several very interesting conversations around, particularly on the use cases of how to use blockchain in Africa. And then we have some global topics, for example, smart contract blockchains. So we've got someone from Tron coming to talk and from Binance Smart Chain coming to talk about how their platforms compare to, for example, to Ethereum or to Polygon in terms of smart contract capability. Oh, excellent. So that's a, a jam-packed program. So 17th to 18th March, those of you that are interested can go to blockchainafrica.co and you can obviously register and uh, get a bunch more information and uh, be immersed in the world of blockchain and all its challenges. Uh, Sonia, I've got one last question for you and uh, effectively that's a throw forward. So um, what do you see as uh, you know some really interesting trends that are going to be emerging in the next three to five years? Um, over and above the ones that we've spoken about, I know you've spoken quite a bit about the sectors that you think have got great use cases. Um, But uh, what are the other ones that effectively you think could create opportunities for Africa? Yes, what I haven't mentioned is NFTs. So I think non-fungible tokens is a very, very, very exciting space to be in. Um, We're seeing quite a few artists in South Africa, but also in Africa, putting their artwork as NFTs and selling it and actually selling it to an audience that they would not necessarily have exposure to with traditional yeah. art. So I'm very excited about that because, you know, obviously these content creators and even musicians in South Africa and Africa are not getting rewarded for their content as much as they should mm. be. And there's always a third party that's taking a big cut out of what they should be getting, in my opinion. So I'm very excited about yeah. NFTs and what that poses. There is a lot of hype around it. There is a lot of people making exorbitant amount of money flipping NFTs, buying them and selling them for double or triple the price. But I think that's going to die down and we'll see more constant and sort of um, safe use cases around NFTs. And then, of course, decentralized finance. I think that's a very interesting Mm. use case. We're seeing a lot of people staking their crypto, um, earning a yield on their crypto. Um, You know, so I think that decentralized finance, it sort of died down a little bit. It was very much in a hype last year and the year before. And I think that's also settling down quite nicely now. So I think NFTs and DeFi is a very exciting space and I'm watching it very closely myself. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, Well, that's been a fantastic conversation. Before we wrap this up, um, you guys can all learn a lot more about Sonia and her work. If you can follow her on Twitter, her handle is at Sonia Kunal. That's S-O-N-Y-A. 
capital K-U-H-N-E-L at Sonia Connell. And you can obviously interact with her and engage on Twitter. And from there, you can probably get a lot more information. Um, I'd also like to encourage all of you um, who are uh, tuning in and tuning in regularly and you'd like to uh, support our work a little bit more. Uh, you can join the Patreon community uh, and you can sign up today and help us grow this platform. Um, that is Africa Tech Roundup. And obviously, we'd like to remain single-minded about how we focus on bringing uh, guests like Sonia and others uh, to be able to serve you with tech innovation around the ecosystem, as well as independent insights that hopefully help you to learn and grow. Uh, so thank you very much, Sonia, for your time. I've really appreciated this conversation. Um, I wish you all the best for the conference. Um, and uh, as you continue to learn, uh, grow and, uh, and invest in the ecosystem, um, I hope that you have every success. Thank you, Musa. It was an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast. Thanks very much for your time. My absolute pleasure. All right. So all of you at home, the links for the show um, are in the show notes. And uh, I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank you for supporting us. And you can click on the Patreon tab um, on the main menu on africantechroundup.com. And obviously, a big shout out to all our villagers who have already started to support our work in this way. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll continue to do the right thing to be able to bring you actionable insights and content that you can use. So uh, for now, that's about it. Until next time, uh, from me, Musa Kalenga, take it easy. Africa and see you soon.